Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is, of course, the bonus episode of Across the Movie Aisle. You get this when you're a, a member, a paid member at the at Bulwark Plus. Just go to atma.thebulwark.com. Sign up for a full membership. It's great. You'll love it. Um, but uh, if you're if you're listening to this, uh, you're, you're going to get hit with a cliffhanger because it's going to cut off after about five minutes. You, you won't be able to see how the episode ends. If you want to see how the episode ends, and you should... Because ironically, it's an episode about cliffhangers. Uh, if you want to see how the episode ends, you got to go sign up. You'll get the full thing. It'll be great. Uh, you'll help support the show. The, sh- the show can't really uh, run without folks like you pitching in to, to keep us afloat. Um, we don't do ads or anything like that on uh, Across the Movie Isles. So, you know, we, we, need, we need those uh, subscriptions. Um, so uh, go sign up uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see you over there. You can hop in the comments. You can chat with us. Uh, it'll be great. We'll see you there. Welcome back to Across the Movie Hour, presented by Bulwark Plus. I'm your host, Sonny Bunch, culture editor of The Bulwark. I'm joined, as always, by Alyssa Rosenberg of The Washington Post and Peter Suderman of Reason Magazine. Alyssa, Peter, how are you today? I am well. I am happy to be talking about half movies, partial movies, cliffhangers with friends. On this week's show, I wanted to talk a bit about cliffhangers and sequels and what we expect from a movie, just the idea of a movie. I remain firmly convinced that the marketing for Dune, for instance, was at least mildly deceptive, right? Despite knowing that the film was only going to cover half the book because I read Deadline and the other trade pubs, uh, I don't think the average moviegoer had any reason to believe that. The words part one were in none of the trailers, none of the advertisements, none of the posters. Uh, So when the movie just started with a title card proclaiming it part one and then just kind of stopped at the end in what seemed to be the middle of a scene, I can understand why some people were upset or at least confused. And I do think something similar is at work here with the end of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. There was no hint that this was the first of a two-part series. It just kind of ended in the middle of a thought. Uh, I think you can tell a whole story and make a whole movie Uh, while leaving things up for a third installment, right? You know, Empire Strikes Back, Squares the Circle, the Lord of the Rings movies all managed to tell discrete stories while keeping things moving. But other times it's hard to judge a part two, or I guess a part one in the case of Dune, without seeing how things play out in the next movie, right? The Matrix Reloaded suffers in retrospect because the Matrix Revolutions did not satisfactorily close out that trilogy. But Back to the Future 2 is fine because Back to the Future 3 does a pretty good job of tying everything together. Before we discuss our favorites in this genre... I'm kind of curious to get your takes on this idea. Alyssa, do you think it's possible to competently judge the first part of a cliffhanger movie without seeing how it ends? I will be honest. I don't really need to see the third Spider-Verse movie to just love the second. I just, I adored being in that world so much um, and in that artistic vision that I will be bummed if the third movie doesn't stick the landing, but a failure could not possibly take away my pleasure in the original. Peter, what about you? What are, what are, am, I, am I being too much of a stickler here? I think over the course of history, over years, it becomes possible to, uh, to see a movie independently. Even if it's a cliffhanger and the sequel sort of doesn't live up to the promise, I would say that The Matrix Reloaded was amazing. 
and then the Matrix Revolutions was kind of a mess. And the Matrix Revolutions remains kind of a mess. But Reloaded has ascended, in my view, of it. Like, sort of, it's gone more or less back to the thing that I thought it was originally, or maybe not exactly that. It's not so much that it's gone back to the thing I thought it was originally because I hoped it was going to set up something that would be satisfying and pay off. But instead, I now see it on its own terms. And it's pretty great. Like it just as as its own thing, The Matrix Reloaded works. And so I don't think that a even a movie as intricately linked to a sequel as The Matrix Reloaded or Dune Part One, I don't think you need to see the second thing. I don't think you need to judge judge it based on how well it closes, because the it is a complete work unto itself. Um, and I think I mean, I certainly think that about Dune. The first one is just an amazing movie and one of the few films from the past couple of years that I've watched a huge number of times and that's because it works entirely on its own you're just using it to test out your sound system at home we know what you're up to you sicko that's not wrong but that's because (laughs) it sounds really good i like things that look and set and this is the thing is 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 reloaded and dune i mean even if dune 2 fails like the first one looks amazing and it's just like this great bit of craftsmanship and the same is true with the matrix reloaded which i also just put on just to show off sequences right the that whole bit on the highway i mean we've talked about this but the the staircase fight leading into the highway is just an utterly amazing one-two punch of action sequences and it doesn't matter that revolutions is kind of a disaster that sequence or set of sequences just works and it still works And I'm fine with that, even if whatever the architect's monologue actually doesn't make any sense or deliver any real information at the end. I'm always kind of fascinated to see like people who aren't, you know, paying super close. What low information moviegoers? You know, we always talk about low information voters, but low information moviegoers are are a thing as well. And I, I remember when the Dune thing happened, going back and reading some stories about Lord of the Rings, and there were people who were very confused when those movies, the first two in particular, when Fellowship of the Ring and The Two Towers ended, that they were not, you know, that wasn't the end of the story. There was more. They did not know that it was a trilogy of books. And that's one of the most famous books. And each of these movies was about one book in particular. You know, so you can never you can never be sure what the audience knows. And as somebody who has very complicated feelings about audiences, I do kind of wonder how fair it is to pull that bait and switch on them. But Neither here nor there. Alyssa, what's your favorite cliffhanger-style movie? Empire Strikes Back, baby, right? I mean, everyone on the who listens to this podcast for more than one episode knows that I'm just a huge Star Wars dork. And that movie blew my mind when I saw it, right? I mean, and the cliffhangers work not just because they're cliffhangers, but because of the emotional punch of the cliffhangers, right? I mean— Luke getting his hand chopped off and being told that Darth Vader is his father. Like, that would be cliffhanger enough, right? But the just screwball-style banter in the midst of extreme peril of, you know, Han and Leia getting a kiss, the, you know, I love you, I know. And the way the movie handles, like, it doesn't cut to black, right? I mean, you've got, like, Luke getting his robot hand. You have this sort of moment of calm that kind of lets you breathe. But the tension that's been set up there is unbelievable. It's like, how are you going to live knowing that your dad is the supreme bad guy in the universe, right? It's like, how can these, like, really, you know, hot, charismatic people be separated by carbonite? It's like, you know, a cliffhanger isn't just an incomplete story, right? It is 
you know, this thing that leaves you desperate to get off the edge and waiting for the next thing. And for a movie to have two cliffhangers that powerful to like ease you off and then leave you wanting more, I mean, it blew my mind as an act of storytelling the first time I saw it. And I still like, I cannot wait to show my kids these movies someday. The thing about Empire, though, and I I, uh, I almost got into an argument with somebody online about this, and I didn't because I, I realized that way lies madness. But the thing about Empire is that it's not really a cliffhanger. The good guys just lose. Like, Luke escapes, but, uh, yeah. you know, the good, the good guys just lose. He gets beaten by Darth Vader, uh, who he learns is his father. Han gets frozen in carbonite and shipped off to Jabba. Like, the, the good guys are just, uh, they just, they just get beat. And that's the end of that's the end of that story. Well, but they're like they're in abeyance, right? It's like you know that like having had that exchange, you know, Leia Organa is not someone who gives up easily, right? Like the lack of resolution is itself propulsive. And so, you know, you just know it can't end that way. But you also, again, because you're right, the good guys lose, you don't know how they're gonna do it, right? And so that's kind of what's interesting and exciting about the setup. That's the cliffhanger. It's like, you know, you literally, I mean, you have sort of the inverse of a technical cliffhanger and that Luke gets away by letting go, right? But you don't know how they're going to come back from this one. And that's part of, you know, you, you want to yeah. see all these characters together. You want to see them okay, but you don't know how they're going to do it. And that's part of what makes it really exciting. That's classic screenplay structure, except stretch out over three movies in which the end of the second act, right, is it's the, the save the cat calls that beat all is lost, right? And it's just the moment at which every single thing in the protagonists, the heroes, the people you want to win, every single thing that they want, all of their plans have failed and it looks like they've failed permanently and you have no idea how they're going to come back from it. And it's and like that's... The fact that the movie doesn't hint at what's going to come next is something that people overlook um, as like a, a kind of a bold choice, right? Like today, if Marvel made that movie, you know, you would imagine that like there would be there'd be a post credit scene in which you see Luke at um, Jabba's palace, like ready to you know storm the th right, like ready to come back, right? Or like Luke, you know, training himself to become like ultimate master Jedi, even more so because they would want to give you that sense that there was something next and that there was some hope. And part of what makes Empire so powerful is, as you said, Sonny, that they lose, but also this sense that you like the the way that it just sort of conforms to that three act structure to the hero's journey uh, that Lucas was like absolutely, you know, snorting uh, like up his nose for that the whole decade of the 70s. Right. And it's just it's a perfect end of second act moment that they allow to actually rest and not ruin with a teaser. Well, Marvel did that, though, with Endgame. The end of Endgame is just like, well, we, we lost. That's it. Yeah, but they announced the next one and you knew it was I know. Coming. Well, this this gets into the whole uh, high information, low information thing. Because I'm a giant hypocrite here, one of the things I have always thought about The Last Jedi is that it would have been so much better if it had ended on a cliffhanger in the throne room, either with Rey agreeing to be, you know, Kylo Ren's husband if she like if he lets the ships go or just like ending on that question like he asks for her hand and offers her the galaxy and we're not sure what she's going to do would have been better than what they ended with, which felt like the end of a series. And then the third one had nowhere to go. That was that was not great. Nothing that happened in those movies was great, but that was particularly bad. All right, uh, Peter, what's one of your uh, favorite cliffhanger type movies? Back to the Future Part Two, because 
I was eight years old, I think, nine years old, something like that, when I when I saw it. And I remember coming home from the movie and my dad explaining to me how they shot both part two and part three at the, the same time, how there was, in fact, a teaser at the end of part two for part three, right? Like you, because they had shot it at the same time, they could release a trailer that showed you a bit of, you know, they were going to the West in, in part three and just... Like, it's a great movie. It's it's really fun. Like, it plays with time in, in some complicated ways. It's absolutely ahead of its time in terms of effects. I mean, some of the stuff they did with having actors play multiple characters uh, within the same scene, in particular, there's a bit where Michael J. Fox plays three characters interacting with each other with camera movement, which was basically impossible up until that time. It was a, a real eye-opening experience as a kid, and also it's such a fun movie. I mean, in some ways, like Spider-Verse, it's a movie that at every moment says, what could we do to take this concept to the next level and actually deliver rather than just sort of say, well, here's a basic ass version of it, like everything you get now from the Disneyplex. It's really it's a movie that actually tries and it takes its very silly, very pulpy concept seriously isn't quite right in the sense that it's like not trying to ground itself in something like a deep real world it's not gritty instead what it does is it says what could we do with this how could we maximize the amount of intrigue and interest and fun and it just it just works on so many levels i think people don't go back and rewatch back to the future too in the way they say lots of people watch the star wars movies over and over again lots of people even the, the lord of the rings films or the matrix films but people need to watch the back to the future films more like, I strongly recommend if you ever have like an all day party with friends, like where people show up at, at, at noon and they're just going to hang out at your house, just put the Back to the Future trilogy on. People will like they'll 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 want to talk and they'll want to eat whatever your pastries and have your your cocktails. But like at, at a certain point, everyone will just have gathered around the television because the movies themselves are are so good, so perfectly paced, so just delightful and enjoyable and perfectly baked little confections that you just like you just end up watching the whole thing and like at the point that you're done talking to the other people you're like oh back to the future's on and that's really good i hope the next time i'm in dc there's a pastries and marty mcfly party <laughs> at the suderman manse always would, always for you sonny I would happily uh, swing by that. All right, that's it for this week's show. Tell your friends. A strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences. If you don't grow, we'll die. If you did not love today's episode, please complain to me on Twitter at Sunny Bunch. I'll convince you that it is, in fact, the best show in your podcast feed. See you guys next week. Bye.